When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the offense from that game Sunday against the Colts. But first of all, a couple of big breaking stories in Baltimore sports we need to we need to handle first. Uh, joining me tonight is Gabe Ferguson of the Situation Room. Gabe, how you doing? Hey, Ken. Um, good to join you. It's always uh, it's always a good time to talk football with you uh, on on Film Study. Appreciate it. Make sure you check out uh, Gabe and Jordan Coe's show uh, that is uh, comes out on Sunday night, and then you guys have another show on Thursday as well. Yeah, that's correct. We're we're trying to do a little bit different format this year, where we we want to hit you with um, immediate reactions to the game um, right after on, on Sunday or whenever the game might be, and then come back and kind of revisit you know our initial. Um, reactions and, and give us a little bit more context after some film study and then uh, maybe a little bit of a preview for the coming game as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Of course, the biggest news in Baltimore sports today was the death of Brooks Robinson. Uh, always sad to lose a great one, uh, a life extremely well lived. Uh, he'll be remembered and celebrated obviously here for as long as Baltimore sports exists. But Gabe, did you ever get to see Brooks play even on video or after the fact? I, I mean, I never saw him play play live. I'm a little too too young for that, but I definitely saw you know clips of him, you know, being the the human vacuum cleaner out there at third base. Just you know, a, a whole career full of highlight plays. Um, definitely a, a beloved you know sports figure in, in Baltimore. Um, someone who was you know just a legend growing up and growing up as an Orioles fan. You know, someone that was always there as as one of you know the all time greats that um, we had the fortune to watch as as Baltimore sports fans. Very fortunate indeed. And and Brooks was uh, my hero growing up. And, and in 1971 is when I really became a baseball fan. Of course, the Orioles had just won the World Series with Brooks Robinson having a, having a huge uh, uh, series and, and uh, postseason in its entirety. Kind of forgot he was 7 for 12 against the Twins in that ALCS, but they reminded us of that on the broadcast as Palmer has a terrific memory for everything, but for, particularly for that. And uh, uh that was great to see Brooks, even in those declining years, uh, still playing well and being an important, being an important player. But my best memories of Brooks are probably uh, in his post career days. And I would go to the uh, golden arm uh, ceremony each year 
and uh, it's for for the for the top college quarterback, it's given away by the United's family, and and uh, uh, Transamerica was always a, a sponsor of it for many years anyway. And uh, I I would go there, and Brooks was there every year, of course, and many of the old Colts were as well. The the, the Colts from the nineteen fifties we started to lose them one after the other. They were replaced kind of by the Colts of the seventies. Um, but Brooks was always there. And the one great thing is he always had time for a conversation with you. And it didn't matter 10, 15 minutes, personal stuff. I usually asked him about, you know, who he was voting for in the hall of fame. He had great interest. I really cared about trying to get Ron Santo into the hall of fame for a long time. So he always kind of had that side, uh, you know, you had health issues to talk about. That was fine too. And and uh, it turns out Brooks remembered my brother who was working in hotel management as kind of a side gig in Cooperstown and and it, and had been at the there's a there's a hotel there where all the players stay the, at, called the Oda Saga and he's at the front desk there and he goes oh Victor is your brother and, and so it was, it was really surprising that he remembered him but uh, my brother had the same feeling that that Brooks was always the kindest sweetest guy and the and the most difficult character was Reggie Jackson, <laughs> so was, uh, you know, the other side of the coin. But Brooks, just a, a, a pure uh, class act, wonderful person. And uh, if, you, if you never met him personally, I kind of feel sorry for you in, 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 that you've missed something important. I'm sure I know everyone's telling you how sweet and genuine he was. And, and that's absolutely right on the money. The guy could not have been a, a, a more friendly human being. Yeah, it's 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 you know a real real sad day for for Baltimore sports for for pre- professional baseball, um, for city of Baltimore in general. And um, you know I, I'm sure he's always going to be remembered and always be someone that is going to be just that that figure of, of great greatness um, in in the in the city of Baltimore. So it's um, I, I'm sad that I didn't get to you know have one of those personal stories um but it sounds like you really had a really unique uh, ability to kind of meet with and talk to someone of 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 his stature so many times that's that's really cool to hear yeah it's a, that that's a great event by the way the golden arm event if you get to go ever uh i think they're still doing it i, I i'm 99 sure i just don't know who the who's who's sponsoring it at this point but uh, uh but it's a fantastic event if you if you had the opportunity uh to get tickets to that um the other big news we ought to mention today, too, before we get into the offense, is the Ravens making a move at outside linebacker and signing Kyle Van Noy, who was in um, for a workout, for a visit. I, I'm not sure which it was uh, during the preseason. And it did not come to fruition, even though the Ravens were in dire need of a Sam linebacker at that point. Um, that need remains and I guess has been accentuated by other losses. Yeah, I think it's it's a really good fit for the Ravens um, in terms of what Kyle Van Noy's skill set is. Uh, you mentioned specifically the Sam linebacker position. And that's kind of um, you know the, the role that Ty Bowser has mm-hmm. vacated in in the um, while he's on the pup list. And the Ravens didn't really have a kind of a one for one replacement for him on the, on the roster. So someone like Van Noy is actually probably a better option than anybody they had going into um, the season. So I think it's a, it's a great fit. Um, you know. Obviously, it's at one point it might have been a, a financial reasons they didn't have the, the cap room, or they, they wanted to maybe get someone who was more of like an, an edge rusher, and they landed with Clowney, who I think you know has been a really good addition to the team as well. So um, you know, being able to have both of them um, come in and contribute this year, I think it's going to be 
really important as, as you know, the outside linebacker position has, has been hit hard by um, some of these injuries. And, you know, it's, it's a position that is, is obviously important for, for any, any roster, but the, the Ravens really need those guys who can not only um, be versatile in terms of their, their pass rush, but also coverage and ability to set the edge. Yeah, very much so. And and in particular, the the dropping to coverage with Bowser done about 32% of snaps in his entire career is enormously important for the Ravens' pass rush flexibility. Um, and we saw, in fact, Clowney dropped to coverage. We saw plays where Michael Pierce and Justin Matabike on the same play twice dropped to coverage in this game. So uh, multiple games with simulated pressure being played, but but having a, a, a Bowser or a Van Noy um, available to, to to do that kind of duty on the edge um, is extremely valuable. And and I, you come into a season with Owe, Ajabo, and um, no, I'm forgetting, Owe, Ajabo, and Bowser being the three guys you're going to really look for to take the lion's share of the defensive snaps, or sorry, of the outside linebacker snaps. And now it looks like it's Clowney, <laughs> Van Noy, and Moon, or whoever else is, you know, out there uh, this week, Harrison, uh, Tavius Robinson, you know, it is a completely revamped room, obviously, from from what they expected it to be, even after the first preseason game. Yeah, and you know, fortunately, you know, the Ravens had a little bit of depth there in terms of some of the you know practice squad bodies, and and, and Tavius Robinson, who you know, as a rookie, didn't really know what to expect from him. He hasn't been, you know, a complete disaster. Uh, you know, he's kind of played solid, not exceptional. Um, out there as, as, as kind of like a need to have some good body to throw out there. Same thing with Jeremiah Moon. Um, I think, you know, having someone like, like Van Noy will actually give a little bit more um, juice potential potentially to, to the defense in, in total. And I think, um, you know, we don't know how long it's going to be for OA and potentially a Jabo before, before they can get back. Hopefully Bowser will be ready to go as soon as, you know, his stay on the pup is, is over. Um, but those reinforcements could be a couple weeks away. So getting an additional veteran b- body out there, um, it's it's a big move for a team that's had so many injuries uh, up and down the roster. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So looking forward to that one. Hope it works out. The new injuries this week, of course, Ajabo after only four snaps out. I think that's got to be part of what's precipitated this. Uh, I, I, I am concerned about what it might mean in terms of how serious Ajabo's injury is. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, you know, Harbaugh has given much detail about it. It makes sense to be concerned about that position, Um, you know, the immediate addition of a player at that that position, I think that might mean something. Um, But, you know, it could also mean that they just need the depth there. I mean, we already saw some players getting significant snaps that, that, like you said, the Ravens probably weren't expecting to have to play so much at the beginning of the season. So maybe it was just, you know, the right time. Um, he's no longer at the same price tag as he was in the offseason. So it just makes sense for the roster in this specific moment. Yeah, I, I absolutely. I agree with that. You, so we don't really know. We, we can't project that onto it. I'm just naturally concerned. Uh, you're, you're right. Yeah. In addition to Jabo Bateman uh, has some sort of a hamstring problem. Uh, I, they haven't, I, as far as I know, to this moment, they have not put him on IR. I did not see additional IR moves later this afternoon. Wallace went on IR yesterday, I believe. So he's there already. Ed Edwards uh, concussion protocol. I have no new news about that. And of course, Wallace already went to IR. Um, the roster crunch can't be ignored now in terms of how they move people around. They had all of their six inactive spots taken up 
by walking wounded, effectively starters <laughs> that, that were on this team. It's not even really just starters. They're all stars pretty much. Yeah. Um, and so it's a, it's a very bad situation, obviously. And you're going to add at least three players to that group if you don't make any IR moves, which means you have to make IR moves. That's, that's what it means. They have to decide which of these injuries is most serious or which of these players are coming back latest and probably move those guys to IR and, and make some elevations at this point. Yeah, and, and some of those are, are tricky. You know, um, Edwards with a, with a concussion protocol, I mean, you never know the severity of that. It could be something that, you know, he starts practicing later in the week and he's good to go next week. It could be a multi-week injury, depending on on how, you know, th- that those, uh, those the protocol, all the tests they, they're going to perform go. So I, I doubt that he's somebody who goes on the IR, but, you know, it's hard to say for sure. Um, you'd hope that Bateman doesn't go to the IR, you know, as, as much depth as I think the Ravens had at the beginning of the season at wide receiver, you know, one of them is already down with Wallace um, Beckham missed the game. You know, I think the hope is that he might be ready to go next week, but you know, ankle injuries can be tricky. Um, the, the initial indication that I saw was that, that Bateman's injury wasn't serious, but um, it, it you, you never know. It could, if it's something that could hinder for two to three weeks, I think the IR might be something you have to, to, to do. Um, just because you, like you said, you can't avoid to take up right. any more roster sp- spots with all the injuries that have happened. Right. I, I, you know, sometimes it, it feels a little distasteful to talk about this, but these, these, um, injuries are very significant in terms of the cap hit each of them costs. Early season injuries end up eating up cap like nobody's business because you have to put an additional player on your roster and still pay the old one. And yep. the, the additional guy, even if he makes the vet minimum, is another million um, gone against the cap, which is essentially 0.4% of your cap you lose for each injury. So extremely costly. And yes, you can say we can push that into next year, and we can in some ways by restructuring money. You have to pay that at some point. So you still have to look at that and say that's each one of these injuries costs a significant amount of money for setting aside for a moment, you know, the hit the Ravens playoff chances have taken from losing these players uh, for whatever time they're out. The Ravens just having an unbelievably awful year in terms of injuries. Again, um, if we hadn't been through it before, I almost wouldn't believe this one uh, with the, with the, you know, the, the quality of players lost uh, so quickly and uh, with the frequency they had been. Yeah, I mean, essentially through the first three weeks, you're looking at basically half the starters on the team that are mm-hmm. that are out, um, and and that's you know a testament to the Ravens' depth that they've been able to had have the amount of success that they've had so far. But also, I think we saw the limits of that um, in this past week and how that um, impacted some of the some of the play in in this game against Indianapolis. Yeah, the the offense in particular definitely had some changes made to it based on the inability to protect the quarterback, I think would be, would be only fair to say. And we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. You know, this game in a lot of ways, offensively a return to what we hope the offense would not be. So you just, you're riding this roller coaster where in week two, they have one of the biggest wins they've had in a couple of years. They go in uh, and they beat the Bengals in Cincinnati. um, And they take care of Burrow in the way they've taken care of Burrow in the last four times, really. Uh, really limiting him, forcing the throws underneath, um, setting up a, a you know some good play from the cornerbacks and the safeties, as well as some decent pass rush to get after him and cause him problems, and you know a, a, just a huge win, a very efficient offense in those games, 
in particular the 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 week two game to get 26 out of 31 series of downs resulting in another first down or a touchdown they've been remarkably successful in the red zone through three games you know that's something that that the ravens haven't always done in the past it's been a common complaint particularly when huntley had been in there that they, they just couldn't punch it into the end zone um but now you know the ravens i i don't know if they're leading the nfl right now but they should be because they've scored 63 points on 11 red zone trips which is 5.7 points per trip to the red zone um and Kansas City led the NFL last year with 4.2 yards. Now, it could be Miami or somebody like that who scored a lot of points is already ahead of, or is ahead of them early right now. But that's that's an amazing pace the, the Ravens are on. Yeah, I mean, it's unlikely that they can maintain that over the course of the season. <laughs> but but it, if you're still, you know, even, you know, over between three and four points per, per red zone, that's that's. That's better than average, I think. So yeah, they were um, three point five last year, and they were eighth yeah. in the NFL. So, and there's a, there's a lot of improvement that that can happen from last year. So I, I think you know having some additional weapons and having a more creative offensive play calling in the red zone has has been you know a major reason for that. Um, but I also think that um, they you know being able to get down into the red zone is, is going to be a challenge at times if they don't have, you know, some of the, the pieces to be able to maintain consistent drives, because the one thing that we haven't really seen from this team is explosive plays. Um, we saw a, a, a few of them last week, but, but this week, week three, it, it was completely missing. And that's something that's going to have to change if they're, if they want to be, you know, a really high end offense, I think this season. Great, great point. And, and, you know, that's exactly what we thought we were getting. And incredibly, the the Monken offense has looked a lot, has looked very Romanesque in these last two games. They've really tried to scheme the ball out quickly. Lamar has a, had a very short time to throw each of these two weeks. It's not extended play, Lamar. It's get the ball out quick, Lamar. And I like him having first reads that are good, but that's not been the case in all of this, and it's really shown up. We have some passing statistics we'll get to for, from Lamar a little bit later that that we really want to delve into that in a in a in a little more depth. Uh, I guess most frustrating about this game from my perspective was it was the Ravens inability to close out the game with the run. Yeah, that, I mean, going back and, and rewatching the game a couple of times, um, it was, it was just frustrating because it wasn't complete, you know, stalemates at the line of scrimmage always, but it just seemed like, you know, partially due to play calling, and partially due to maybe you know having to rely on Melvin Gordon as the guy there who doesn't have, have maybe the um, you know the the leg drive that Gus Edwards has or the vision that Gus Edwards has someone who hasn't really played a lot of football you know so far this year and he's kind of thrust into a position um, and to have to lean on him in order to close it out um, I'm a little confused as to why they felt so much confidence in going to him in some of those critical plays but I think that's the you know the traditional kind of approach is, you know, you, you run the ball when it's a four minute offense. And he was really the kind of the only guy who was suited for that on the roster at the time. As opposed to Drake, you're saying, or yeah, I, I think so for kind of the short yardage. Um, I think, you know, um, Gordon probably fits that bill more than, more than Drake does, but you know, I don't know. I mean, Drake's also newer to the offense as well. You know, he was a recent addition, you know, at least Galvin Gordon, had the uh, the off season work. He's been with the on the roster since you know training camp, so he has a little bit more experience in theory in the offense than than Kenyon Drake would have. 
Well, Drake had it early last year, of course, and he's worked with Lamar in the mesh point. So there's some things there. In, in, in running out this game, what it seemed like to me, they leaned on Lamar Jackson for most of the game in the run. It felt like they were going to have to lean on Lamar all the way, which, by the way, I am not up for at this point. I think there's, you know, the injury risk with Lamar taking a lot of hard hits uh, in games like this is, is high. Um, you know, he took he took one quarterback hit only, which is good because quarterback hits are the really bad hits. But you you he took four sacks in this game. Now those are quarterback hits technically, but they don't usually happen as the quarterback is driving into a throw while a defender is coming in the other direction. Usually the quarterback is in the process of turtling up to some degree when he takes a sack. So quarterback hits tend to be the worst hits the quarterback takes in the pocket. He also took some hits on the run, you know, in those 14 runs, you know, every time his legs get are, are the, are the point of contact for the tackle, I'm concerned. Yep. And, you know, just as, as much as this was supposed to be not a designed run offense, it seems like it's, it's a designed run offense again on Sunday. Yeah, it was definitely a big change from the first two weeks where the designed runs were probably able to counter on one hand. Um, I think we saw at least, 10 in this one nine or 10 runs that were that were designed um, probably hit 14 total carries yeah so that there's a few scrambles right. there were a few scrambles in there but um i think you know part of that is due to the depletion of offensive personnel you know losing dobbins losing hill um you know edwards being in and out of the lineup losing um stanley Beckham, yeah obviously the two offensive linemen as well i think um, there's some concerns about the ability to to protect um, and trying to use the the rushing from Lamar as a, as a way to have consistent move the chains type offense. Um, you know, I I agree with you. I don't I don't want to. I didn't want to see that much of it. I think in this game it might have been like a you know this is how we're going to win this game, which is surprising why they went away from it at the end um, when. In the past, he has been a, a game closer for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's something that was a little bit surprising to me. Also surprising, um, not using Devin Duvernay in, yes, in, in the backfield at all. Um, you know, he had some effective runs last week um, against the Bengals, um, including in that last um, series to kind of close out the game. And not having him as an option in, in this at all was a little surprising to me. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm I'm beside myself over that in particular. That that Duvernay was basically kept out of the offense in week one. He only played seven snaps, I think, on offense, and it, it almost felt like they were telegraphing the desire to use him against Cincinnati. Maybe keep him healthy was part of it, but definitely keep him off the film so that they didn't have any any view. And then he had three targets, and they weren't particularly great ones in week two, but he did drop one of them. And the other one was a you know a contested catch right down by the goal line where he kind of yeah. only had one hand free, and then I forget where the third one was, but doesn't really matter that much. The 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 he had one opportunity in this game, so one ball was thrown his direction, uh, and it was a ball in traffic over the middle when they needed to get some yardage at the end of regulation to set up that field goal. It wasn't an easy catch bite by any stretch, but he's zero for four now on targets this year. I just feel like they need to scheme him into the offense right away in this next game, get him weaponized and get him back uh, expecting the football time after time, you know, build some trust with some scheme 
uh, out of this. And Lamar should have lots of trust because Duvernay was the best, has been the best hands receiver the Ravens have had last year anyway. And coming into this year, you know, starting over four is not a good way to do it. And he had a drop, you know, among those himself, but uh, you know, they've got to get him back involved. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, especially against the defense next week in the Cleveland Browns, they're mm-hmm. looking like one of the best defenses in, in the NFL this season. I mean, they have a lot of really good players that they brought in um, a very, very solid front seven and a, and a good scheme, I think. So um, they're going to have to lean on all the weapons that they have. And hopefully, you know, this is kind of an aberration this past week and kind of like the way the game was called. And I'd like to see something more along the lines of what we saw in, in week two, hopefully moving forward. Um, but, um, you know, you never know. Sometimes maybe they see something on film and they want to attack a team a certain way and it's just the wrong decision and they don't make the proper adjustments. Um and and in the way they planned the offense in, in the week leading up to it might not have been um you know the right approach. So we'll see what they have in store for next week. Um but the the one thing that I think is troubling to me is is and we might get to this a little bit later, but so far the usage of, of Zay Flowers I think has been mm-hmm. very troubling. Incorrect. Um yep. Definitely like to get him the ball, understand that he's he's a weapon with the ball in his hands, but the, his average depth of target needs to be deeper. Like he he's also someone who can get downfield and, and make plays. We saw him last week with a really nice deep routes and catch. Um, he's capable of doing that. And if you limit him to just being, you know, five yards around the line of scrimmage guy, it's, it's gonna be a limiting factor. And, and he wasn't even that far in this game. 3.5 was his A dot in this game. And his long catch of the day was for eight yards. So, you know, that includes the yak on that play. Uh, it, great that he caught eight out of 10 balls. Actually, it's really not that great given where those balls were, you know, and 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 whatnot. But, you know, he was interfered with on one. We know that. We all, we all saw that together. Uh, and that wasn't flagged. But the... It, it, Using flowers around the line of scrimmage as a gadget, gadget guy is always going to be a little tempting because he is so good and so elusive, forces so many missed tackles. I, I'm I, I'm okay with doing it occasionally and showing it occasionally to keep it on film so keep opposing defensive coordinators up at night. But the primary heavy lifting that he was brought in here to do is to take the top off the defense, be a dangerous deep receiver. And you know you, you had a play where they threw it kind of. Some people would argue whether it was into the teeth of the coverage or not, but there were two defenders in the area. There was risk of that ball being intercepted. Flowers went up and made a great catch last week on the 52-yard ball. But the, the point of that is that should have made it all the more necessary for the for the Indianapolis Colts to put safety help on for Flowers play after play this last week. But the, the Ravens never made him do it. Yeah, and it's it's really strange when you go back and watch the film too because you see kind of a there's a void in, in, the, in the Colts defense over the middle of the field that they rarely attacked um, and when they did they were successful but they just they just didn't seem to go after it. and that, that's where you know it can be Flowers it can be Bateman it can be Andrews you know likely had a nice kind of catch in the, in the, the intermediate um, mm-hmm. void in, in that in that cover three cover four scheme what the what the Colts are doing and they just didn't seem that they wanted to attack it with the routes that they were doing. Um, I mean, there was a few times where the, where there were players open and pressure got to Lamar and he wasn't able to find the receiver, but um, overall it just seemed like it was a really questionable, like 
design in terms of how these routes were attacking what what the Colts were doing on defense. Um, and, and it's a little concerning for me because I, I was hoping that Monken would kind of be that offensive mind who could see what a defense was doing and kind of find the ways to attack it. Um, and, it and it didn't seem like there were the answers that I, I was expecting to see. Uh, maybe it was the conditions. Maybe it was the offensive line having some, mm-hmm. you know, issues blocking for more than, you know, two and a half seconds. Um, but overall, I, I think, you know, this is a game where, you know, for a multitude of reasons, they'd like to have a mulligan. But, you know, I, th- I think Monken would look at this game in retrospect and say, I, I call it a terrible game. Yeah, I think he very well might. And and honestly, after week two being so good, you know, hopefully he, he would be self-effacing enough to understand or to at least uh, accept the juxtaposition between these two efforts as being the second one not being, you know, good at all. Uh, you know, the, the big drop this week, they, they converted 20 out of 30 first downs into either a first down or touchdown. And that doesn't seem too bad on the surface because it's maybe about three points lower than the NFL average, which is right around 70%. Um, the 67% though probably puts you somewhere in the twenties in the NFL. That's not where the Ravens offense needs to be. They, they need to be much higher than that. And they need to, frankly, in, in, you know, with what they've invested in the offense, the F- offense really needs to be leading this team at this point, not the defense. doesn't look like that's the way it is by the way, right now, but that's what, that's what, needs to happen if the Ravens are going to be very successful this year. And part of that is the ball security. Just, yeah. you know, the the losing the football in the pocket probably had a significant impact on some of the decision to tighten up a lot of these route decisions and, you know, make Zay Flowers the check down receiver that he became in this game. Yeah, it's um, it, it's been a theme. Um, with Lamar Jackson recently this season, I think he had some issues, you know, last season as well with the ball security. Um, it's something that I think, you know, needs to be improved, um, significantly. If, if, if you don't, if you want to be having a comfortable feeling with, um, you know, some of the willingness to kind of have longer potential plays developing, because Mm -hmm. obviously the longer Lamar's in the pocket, the longer, um, the chance, higher chance of, of becoming, um, you know, getting sacked. Um, and if he's not going to be able to hold on to the ball in those situations, then that's even higher risk of, you know, instead of just, you know, a five yard sack, which, you know, is detrimental, uh, sack fumble, which can be potentially catastrophic. Mm-hmm. And, and we saw in this game directly leading to points, um, for the, for the Colts, obviously when it's in your side of the field, even worse to have, uh, you know, a fumble there because it's, guaranteed three points basically and potentially an easy seven for the opposing team if they have a you know a good offense um and then it's it's just one of those things that it seemed like it just kind of snowballed for the ravens in this game where you know it was one one fumble that's another fumble that's another fumble and then basically you know after one would look like one and a half really fantastic drives to start the game the, the offense was completely ineffective and it, it was um seemed like a complete like kind of like momentum swing you know they weren't able to get anything going um and it's it's just one of those things where they felt like they were completely out of sync after after those 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 turnovers happened yeah i guess they had four consecutive drive ending fumbles right because when one of the sack fumbles occurred on third down and they recovered it yeah then they had the sack fumble where they lost it they had the the pass to drake was the first of the four series where mm-hmm. they, where they lost it, and then the last one was the Mustafer abortion, 
right. where it went at his went off his feet early and and that uh that ended that drive so that's about as frustrating as it can get in in, in terms of that and you know obviously scheme is not playing a heavy role in those four plays they're mostly execution plays you can point to it as scheme if you want to point to Monken should have known about the middle two and should have had better scheme to get the ball out quicker, which he did the rest of the game. And we're saying we really didn't like. So if, we're, if once we, once we come to that conclusion, I think we're, we're basically down to very significant execution penalties on those, on those first four plays. McCary was beaten as bad as you'll ever see a left tackle beaten for the first sack fumble. So you, uh, that was bad. He's beaten another time in the game where Lamar escaped for 14 yards. And, uh, but you know, I, I can't blame that part of the game on Monken, but I really didn't like the fact that everything had to turtle up and just the way that the Ravens cover two, um, other teams haven't been finding a way to beat it. And that's really played into the Ravens hands defensively. I think the Ravens allowed themselves to be forced into a game of offensive small ball that they shouldn't have wanted to play even with the lead. They, they really needed to take some shots over the top to try and get the ball out there and, and beat somebody deep. And, and they just weren't, they weren't trying that. Some of those balls, by the way, they do not take a long time to get rid of the football. If you're, if you're just running a straight go route and you want to throw it to your speedy guy and hit him at about 42 to 43 yards, the, the, the time where the ball is out is somewhere between 1.9 and 2.2 seconds. So it's, 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 it's enough. Your line should have enough time to, to block for that and for you to step into that throw and make it. But, uh, uh, you know, I don't think the Ravens had the, the the trust overall in the line this game. Yeah, I think that was definitely a big part of it. And I think they took one shot the entire game. It was the first play of overtime when they got the ball. And and Lamar and Bateman was running like a seven or nine route. Um, mm-hmm. And he wasn't open, though. That was covered up pretty pretty easily. And Lamar just kind of, I think he just threw it away in, in the general direction. But aside from that, they, it didn't even look like there was, you know, any even looks downfield. I mean, maybe there was one or two plays that were designed up to be deep shots. I think there was one play action where he ended up checking it down to, um, I'm not sure if it was Edwards or if it was, uh, might've been Gordon. There was like a play action play where he checked it down to to Gordon and he got a nice little gain on that. Um, And I think that's the way to design it up, you know, to have your, your deep options, but have that check down there. Um, as as an easy kind of escape, if if those downfield routes are covered up, I, I I thought that's what we were expecting to see out of this offense. You know, to kind of have options for the quarterback. If, more you know, spacing, you're, yeah. You're more spacing. Have you know have more players in in routes that are functional and, and usable and accessible to the quarterback. Um, and I felt like that was missing for the for the most part of, of this game. Yeah, the, the big thing that I think has been missing from the Ravens offense since 2019, and we really don't say that much about it, is a true play action component to the game. Um, and the problem is, we, I think if you've listened to the show at all, you know my, my, um, the way I feel about the play action boot not really working for Lamar because all eyes are on him. Jordan Coe, by the way, your partner thinks a little bit differently that he can make a play outside of that edge defender, even if he's looking, but it usually takes away opportunities to throw to that deep target or the intermediate target. Even if Lamar is, is forced to move or he's, he feels that pressure from that, from that backside edge defender, but even the straight straight play action dropbacks in 2019, what they did is Lamar very, very rarely turned his back on the field for 
straight a straight play action. He did some with the use of pistol, and maybe that's what the Ravens need to go back to is a little more pistol to to get some of those play action looks going. Because the tight ends for the Ravens that year made great use of that space. Linebackers made bad reads, and Lamar made them pay. And this out of sidecar, all, the the play action fakes seem to be forward facing fakes, and this this is true in nineteen as well. He just made more of those plays is they seem to be forward-facing fakes where he just kind of hand-checks the ball. And they are play-action plays, but they're less likely to work um, uh, play-action moves. Maybe they didn't need to do more of going all the way into the mesh point and pulling it out and throwing it. True RPO kind of kind of stuff as opposed to doing it. Or just you know faking the R component of the RPO there, meaning it's, it's a pass play where we're going to fake it completely into the mesh. Uh, the, I, I, we, just, we haven't seen enough of successful true play action from Lamar really since the 19 season. Yeah. I, I, I want to say that there was a little bit of it last week in in that game where everything seemed to come so easily. Um, mm-hmm. There was a little bit, there's a little bit more Lamar Jackson under center this year than what we've seen in years past. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't get a chance to chart it in this game, but I know last week it was about 20% of dropbacks were, were under center, which is, is a lot more than what we saw in the Greg Roman offense. You know, it was almost entirely, um, shotgun or, or pistol formation. So um, that does allow you to... This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. Access, you know, the the play action, um, a, a true play action play a little bit differently. Um, but it, you're right, it has not really been a part of the great group and Lamar Jackson offense. Um, so I, I wonder if that's something that kind of takes some time to get used to as, as the quarterback to familiarize yourself with, you know, truly what that looks like to turn your back on the defense and then you know reorient yourself and identify your reads um you know some quarterbacks very famously do not like to do that you know ben roethlisberger is one for instance did not want to turn his back to the defense they rarely ever used play action um in, in pittsburgh because of that um so it's it's something that i'm definitely going to be monitoring as the season moves forward uh, i definitely think we could you know see some more rpos that's kind of an easier way to get into that type of you know at least a little bit of a fake to to get the the defense kind of you know off guard at least or maybe take a, a step 
um, enough to open up, you know, whether it's like a, a slant or some sort of quick pattern that can potentially turn to something bigger. Um, I think there are some some ways to kind of integrate that more into the offense. And hopefully that that is a way to kind of like kickstart. Um, and maybe that's something we'll see next week. You know, they kind of didn't see what we didn't see that working very well um, in this week. So maybe they kind of make some adjustments and, and put in some some new features. I, I, for one, would not be of a mind that you take out every single hitch pattern to Zay Flowers where he's got a chance to beat one man to get 10 extra yards. I think those those kind of risks are always good, but there's got to be some A dot to his throws. And, and uh, you know, if, if, it's, if it's not a play action throw, then you, you better at least get him down the field a little bit such that when he makes his break, he can really make somebody pay because in the backfield, then there's five guys converging on him. You know, if he's, if he's on one sideline and the first guy might be, he might make a miss, but he'll have to turn, you know, 180 degrees or 360 degrees to do it. He'll have to spin and that's going to make it easier for the next guy. So it's just, it's how they're using flowers in particular right now is probably my biggest complaint about what's going on. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And the, and the other, I would say downside to kind of the, the quick, Ball out, the ball out quick, you would mm -hmm. say to this flowers in particular is the rest of the offense isn't really being used and the other weapons that mm -hmm. are available, um, haven't really gotten much, um, action. You know, I, I think if you look, you watch the, you know, the, the receivers, you know, there's not like there's a receiver running open every single play, but a lot of times, you know, Lamar's getting the ball quickly to flowers or sometimes it's Andrews and you, you see, you see Aglor coming open across the middle. You see, you know, uh, Rashad Bateman, especially I've, I've noticed there's a lot of right. Rashad Bateman on longer progressing kind of routes, but he is getting open, um, repeatedly and he, but he's just not getting the targets. And I don't know if that's something to do with, you know, Lamar Jackson just falling in love with, with Zay flowers and, and his ability and they have immediate chemistry. And that was never kind of a thing between Bateman and Lamar. Um, but there are opportunities, I think, to kind of, attack defenses um, more so than they're doing. And, you know, getting, you know, those quick underneath passes are, are really detracting from what this offense could be. Absolutely agree. And and it, it for an off schedule player like Lamar, whose who's, you know, biggest ability is to play off schedule. I think they have to go back and take some more risk with extended plays in order to get those early reads for Lamar to have, you know, read one, read two, and then, try and make something happen. The problem with, with, with Lamar is though, he's always going to have to have that, um, uh, you know, white to black, black to white, whatever you want to call it, you know, time when he's thinking about running and also thinking about passing. And that, that can be a very hard thing for a quarterback to process their way through. I trust Lamar Jackson to do it like nobody else, but then it's also got to be on schedule with the other receivers. And it's oftentimes Lamar has got to scan the field. And what we have seen more than not over the past couple of years, at least, is it's read one, read two, Andrews, and not a you know a host of other choices. I'm not saying that's that's completely different from other quarterbacks. Other quarterbacks usually have a go-to guy. Flacco had Ray Rice, you know, certainly that that was his second read or third read on a lot of plays. Um, but but Jackson is is has got to be if 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 he wants to be a great quarterback in this league in terms of passing statistics, he's going to have to be more focused on reading quickly through one, two, three before he really considers 
the run as being the option. I don't, I, I don't completely believe that he can do both at the same time and, and get the number of reads necessary to find that good one-on-one matchup. Yeah. And, and one last thing on this, um, just after like last week, and I think a lot of people after the week two game saw, saw this offense is kind of like, you know, some of those worries that we had of the, of the kind of the, the time it might take to integrate, you know, Lamar Jackson and new weapons and, and Todd Monken together into like a, a well-oiled machine. We thought that, okay, we, we, we've seen it. It's, it's capable. It's already there. Maybe it's not quite there yet. You know, maybe, yep. you know, there's still some learning curve adjustments that are happening. Um, this is a different offense for sure than, than what Lamar Jackson has been used to. Um, so kind of understanding, you know, th- the progressions in this offense, you know, being able to diagnose different coverages and see and know like what his read, you know, primary read, secondary read, what it should be based off of the coverage he's seeing. That might take a little bit of time to kind of figure that out in this scheme. Um, and, you know, I, I'm optimistic, you know, Lamar Jackson is, I think, a, a great quarterback and he, and he puts in the work. And I, I think Todd Munkin is, is a really good offensive mind. So I have faith that it will get there, but it might take a little bit longer than what we initially hoped. I, I think that's that's very valid logically. I think it's completely valid logically. And I will say that as this develops, if there is additional, uh, if there's additional obstacles, if there's an additional failures, but before they get there, like let's say they go through and they lose these next two games to Cleveland and Pittsburgh, and we really hope that's obviously not the case because uh, it would have you know detrimental impact on the Ravens. Period. But but it will really test their relationship because as things continue to go wrong, Monken is going to have specific desires of the way he wants to do it, and Lamar is going to have his own specific way of doing it and wanting to go back to that. You know, and they're gonna they're gonna naturally butt heads over this. So this will test the relationship these next couple of times. I, I have a I have a, a the analogous situation to this. I'll give you, and I know you 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 can you can relate to this. I spent a lot of time in Las Vegas, obviously lifetime. But one of the one of the things that uh, I always used to say about it is that you meet more weird people in a week in Las Vegas than you meet in a year back home. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, you're out and gambling is a social setting and you, you meet more people. There. But the other thing is, is the stress of gambling. People are losing money. They lose their minds when they lose their money. And they drink a lot while they're doing it too. And that's why nobody wants to talk about what they did in, what, what they did in Las Vegas, right? But anyway, you see some unbelievably odd behavior at, at the melting pot of the craps or blackjack table. And you... You really don't see that at home, but it's the stress that does it. And if if this relationship is going to survive, and we hope it will, and we hope that Monken and Lamar can 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 build on trust, it, it has to come from success at the beginning of it. And the great thing about the relationship between Roman and Lamar and having it last as long as it does, even though that eventually soured, was that Lamar came in and was allowed to be Lamar in 2018 as Roman built an offense around him. That continued on in 2019, and they had one of the greatest offensive seasons of all time. But it, it was that success that made the relationship great. And then it still soured. By 22, you know, Lamar is probably somehow has a hand, let me say, in putting a fire gray Roman sign outside of the uh, uh, the, the complex. So uh, really, this will test it. These these next few weeks, if if there is a lack of success, it will it will definitely test the relationship. Yeah, so let's hope that we have a lot of success and that this is just kind of like a little 
you know, wrinkle in time that we're going to look back on and say, you know, every, every team has its, has its issues leading the season. Um, hopefully this is that game that they're at, you know, the, the Ravens just all, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. It certainly seemed that way in a lot of ways. So um, I'm, I'm optimistic still. Um, yeah. And, but the, but the next two weeks are going to be very telling. I think, you know, two good defenses on the road, big games, and we'll, we'll see what happens in, in that pressure cooker. Yeah, absolutely. They'll be critically important games. One thing that there's a lot of um, the blame for this loss is on Lamar, and the blame is definitely on the offense in general for this. And there seems to be a group of Lamar apologists and then another group of people who who want all the blame put on Lamar, and neither one of them is completely right. But there's some very telling statistics, I think, from this game that I kind of want to work through. And we'll start by the fact that the Colts did rush more numbers than you normally see a Gus Bradley team do. So they they rushed five plus on 40% of the passes, which is a very high blitz rate for, for Gus, Gus Bradley, known for rushing four. Um, and uh, I'll give you the results by the number of pass rushers. So when they rushed, let me just make sure I have this on the right place on the sheet here. Oh, not looking at the wrong sheet. Give me a second here. I'll, I'll pull up the correct one. Here we go. When they rushed three, um, only three times, he threw for 7.7 yards per play. Just three plays for 23 yards, so not, not a lot to go on. When they rushed four, he threw for 6.1 yards per play, which was still above the, the, the amount for the entire game. But they did have two sack fumbles among those 18 plays, uh, and he completed most of those otherwise. He was – looks like there were three incompletes, so he was something like 13 of 15 on those throws. Uh, make that 13 of 16. Um, then they rushed five, seven times, 28 yards, 4.0 yards per play. So that's a lot for rushing five. They rushed six, six times, six for 14 yards, 2.2 yards. So you can see the direction we're going. And they rushed seven, one time, incomplete. So you can see the more they rushed, and you rarely get this kind of a linear pattern. I'd be grouping them somehow to, to, to find this, but this is extremely smooth in terms of more rushers was bad news for Lamar in this game, which is a, you know, unfortunately, some of that is on Lamar because it means that when blitzes weren't getting picked up or couldn't be picked up by the number of rushers, he was not getting the ball to the hot read as effectively as he should. Yeah, and I mean that that's definitely um quarterback issue for a lot of times. Sometimes it's also um you know, a scheme issue and whether or not you have that hot read. Um you know, there there were times. I think there was there's one play in particular, and I'm I, I don't know exactly when it happened, but I want to say you know the Ravens had like four guys running. I don't know if they were verticals or if they were like long stemming routes, and you could see six rushers coming, and there was nobody who picked up on it and and kind of cut off their route to be like this. I'm going to be the the hot for 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 Lamar in this situation, and I feel like. You know the, the guy I was looking at was was Mark Andrews, and he, and he's hmm. has a linebacker in front of him who's turning and running to blitz the quarterback, and he's basically uncovered, and he's either not understanding that he's no, the guy who him. needs to be a you know a hot read there, or or maybe for some reason he's told not to in this case. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. I feel like you should be always, you know, um, and there was nowhere for Lamar to go to. And, and you believe he took a sack on that one or he had to throw it away. Um, so sometimes that's, you know, 
on the receivers too to recognize yes. what's happening. Um, but it's you know it, it's definitely a concern. We saw it in week one. You know, this was a, an issue with when 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 the when the Texans kind of had a lot of blitz pressure, um, and it, it affected the Ravens' passing game. Um, Lamar Jackson, you know, took a couple of sacks in those similar situations. He had to throw the ball away a few times. They were not effective when when blitzed. Completely different story in week two. And then, you know, week three kind of went back to the, what we saw in week one, where th- that was a way to kind of deter the Ravens' offense significantly. Um, whether or not it's because I, it seemed like there was maybe some deception happening with those blitzes. It wasn't always, you know, clearly like we're lining up five or six guys and we're going to come after you. Sometimes it was delayed blitzes. We saw mm-hmm. some, yes, you know, stunts up front with the linebackers kind of like, you know, stunting around and then finding, you know, kind of like a, uh, a late window to kind of to come through. I, I thought we saw some exceptional delayed blitzes from the Colts and the Ravens offensive line in particular had a very hard time picking those up. They had some shifting they needed to do and they did not get it done. Uh, we, we had one to Zeitler. I think there was another on Mustafer um, that was similar. So they, they definitely had a lot of problems with, with pickup in this game. Yeah. So I, I think there, there is blame to go around on that. Um, you know, the offensive line could have protected better. The, the running backs, I think, could have protected better, um, and and Lamar, and Lamar could have, you know, gotten rid of the ball maybe a couple times or, or or avoided sacks, I think, a little bit better. But he also got out of some pressure too. He did, he, he did, he ran some people out of pressure. I want to go over the ample time, space, ball out quick, and pressure numbers next because I think they tell a, a, another story as well. So he had ten ample time and space opportunities, seven of nine for ninety-seven yards, nine point seven yards per play. That's very good. It's certainly much higher than Joe Flacco typically had during his career, which was around eight yards per play with ample time and space. Um, it's it's maybe I'd like somebody to be between nine point five and ten would be t- would be typical, but that's that's fine. Lousy day for throwing the football in terms of the weather, so you know that's that's a really good number. There were thirteen ball out quick plays. Now, ball out quick plays happen for one of a couple of reasons. They happen because they're hot reads, but they happen also because they're schemed shorter passes. So, so a lot of the ones to flowers are in this ball out quick category. So 13 of the 35 times he dropped back, 37%. He went 11 of 13 on those throws for 70 yards, 5.4 yards per play. Now, what's good about that is pretty much every one of those passes that he completed, which was 11 of the 13, went for at least four yards. So if you think that as as an extension of the run game, it's really good. Um, When you think about getting 5.4 yards per pass, it's not really what you want. But in the context of I'm going to have some ample time and space opportunities, and I'll also have some BOQ opportunities, I think it's fine that way. So extension of the run game, I don't have any problem with that. The problem was pressure. He was pressured 12 times. That's 34% of the time. By the way, the Ravens only got a little bit more pressure than that. They they pressured... uh, um, Minshew 39% of the time, but on those 12 plays, he was five of eight for, um, uh, let's see, let me get this correct. Five of eight for eight net yards. Uh, and it was 0.7 yards per play. Okay. Uh, I, I thought, I, I thought that was five yards, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Point is not endangered less than one yard per play when pressured and that's just not acceptable. So, you know, you, you, you can have a number of things go positive uh, on those things, but you've got to occasionally have some throws where somebody gets away because they committed numbers to pressure. And that just, 
that just didn't really happen this game. Four sacks and two turnovers among those pressure events as well, making it all the worse. So uh, uh, the pressure is really on the offensive line more than it's on Lamar, although Lamar probably should have made a little bit more out of those situations. He, he, he did perfectly well with the ATS and BOQ throws. So I think that the you really have to look at the pressures. The line has just got to give him a higher percentage of opportunities for ample time and space as opposed to pressure. Even if a difference of two or three additional throws with ample time and space would make all the difference. It probably would have made about 30 yards worth of difference in this game, and it might have prevented a turnover. It might have prevented a sack. So you, yeah. know, you you would have you would have had all the difference, uh, you know, probably to, to to win the game because hey, it was tied at the end of regulation as it was. Um, just just out of curiosity, for those um, pressure plays, so you, you don't include scrambles as part of, of the plays where he was. That, that is correct. So if he scrambles okay. for positive yards, it's already been taken out of the denominator. And and you're perfectly right in saying that you could add that back in. And it has been a Lamar positive over the years is that his forced not to pass number, forced not to pass number, which includes his sacks and his scrambles, has usually been a positive number. Mm-hmm. Oh. That's pretty rare. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, and there was definitely some that he was able to turn um, into positive plays. The one you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. when Makari was beat um, and he, he spun, somehow spun out of three different tacklers and, yep. and turned it into a, like a 14-yard gain. Um, and there was one other play where I thought there was a potential for a big play where it was, I think it was a defensive back blitzed and he kind of ducked it and rolled out and he had Zay Flowers really open <laughs> downfield and he just kind of decided that it was too risky, I think, to throw. He was he was basically being covered by a linebacker or and and he was pretty open, but um maybe Lamar didn't didn't see him or maybe he just didn't want to put the ball at risk and ended up, I think it's like a one yard gain or something on, on that play. Well, it, it didn't really turn out to be much. Um but um obviously, you know, that, that's one of Jackson's unique characteristics is is the ability to escape pressure and, and turn what could be a catastrophe into into an amazing gain. Um, but when when he is under pressure and, and passing, that's when you would want to see you know six, a, a little bit better success, obviously. And and most quarterbacks are not going to be great when they're when they're pressured. But you know, an, a under one yard per play is, is pretty brutal for for the offense. I do think Lamar is going to face a lot of pass rush. I think it needs to be a point of emphasis in how they design the offense and look at the game plan week to week because he, he has not been particularly good with pressure this season so far, but in general, um, in his career, he's had trouble with it. And we, I, you know, think back to the Miami game and all those 40 cover zero looks that they gave the Ravens in, in one football game. Uh, still have a hard time even thinking about that game, but, but it, was, it was awful, so it keeps coming up. Uh, anyway... Maybe we've we've beaten on Lamar enough about this. I, I do think I blame the offensive line a little bit more than Lamar from what I can see, but it's not like Lamar is without, you know, uh, without blame given the uh, given the inability to, to hold on to the football in the pocket. He did do a good job, and we've got to, got to credit him for this. When he got the ball off, he did a good job of keeping the ball safe. You know, didn't, didn't throw any really interception-worthy balls that I can think of. Um, and, uh, and generally had, you know, a lot of nice short completions that were positive and some other completions with, with ample time and space that were further down the field, even in the 15 to 20 yard range, um, that were nice. He just didn't, they didn't really test the defense with any real long throws on this day. Uh, 
we, I think you're coming back here. We have a little bit of, of scratchiness there, but maybe you're back now. I appreciate that. Uh, say that one more time, if you will, for me. All right, we're gonna we're working with some technical issues with Gabe. Um, uh, I think we'll have to move on right now. Maybe talk a little bit about snap division because this has been an issue uh, at, at running back in particular. And obviously, without Justice Hill, uh, Gus Edwards stepped up and was the number one back. If you look at it, they had 72 offensive snaps. They had exactly 72 plays with a running back. You back with us, Gabe? All right, we all have problems. Uh, but uh, Edwards had 32 snaps for a second consecutive game. Uh, but the, it was Hill's snaps were effectively divided between Gordon and Drake, who had 29 and 11 snaps, respectively, at running back. Let's see if this is working now. Still having trouble. You got a lot of static in the background there. I'm not sure why. That's better. I think that's better. Let's test this out here. Now, now you're staticky again. All right. So we tried no camera. All right. We're, we're going to try this. All right. Can kind of hear you again. There's some internet issues there. We might be okay on the recording, but if I, the problem is if I can't hear you, we can't kind of respond to each other normally. So we'll, we'll try and, and do this. Hopefully it'll self-correct. If not, you know, break out and rejoin maybe, and, and we'll see if that works. Um, Edwards got a, got a touch of some sort on 11 of 32 uh, snaps that he was in. Gordon, 12 of 29, Drake, 4 of 11. Sale had a pretty you know, nominal 30 to 36 or 7% uh, of the plays that they were in. They, they got the football. So it wasn't anything really very different about that. Uh, Edwards was effective running the ball. Nobody else really was other than Lamar. All right. So, so you, I, I have a feeling the recording is going to be fine here on your end, but I can't understand what you're saying right now. So please drop, drop and rejoin if you can, and, and we'll see if it works out. All right. Uh, we talked a little bit about Devin DuVernay and how he was dropped from gadget schemes this week. Uh, zero runs where he had a couple big ones, two for 13 on the final two drives that they were able to get the game run out on. So that was nice. Um, but, you know, in this game, that that wasn't the case. Uh, he had zero runs. He was uh, talking about Devin DuVernay. He was not in the backfield uh, for any plays this week. Um, and just a shame to see him dropped out of the gadget place. I'm going to try this one more time. See yeah, you sound, good. you sound good now. All right. Technical issues have been averted for the time being. Um, yeah, the the running back situation in this game, I think kind of went downhill when Edwards went out. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think I think everyone watching the game would, would attest to that. Um, Kenyon Drake, not very effective uh, when he touched the ball in this match uh gordon had a couple of nice runs but overall um really unable to kind of ice the game away when they needed him in that in that edwards role and then yeah as, as you mentioned devin duvernay didn't really get the opportunities that we've seen with him and we saw with him last week even and 
thought in a game where you don't have any of your top running backs available to you, he might be someone that you could lean on. But um, turned out that that wasn't the case. So it's an interesting decision. I th- I'm, I'm thinking that maybe that's something they'll look back at and see as, as a missed opportunity um, and, and use him a little bit more um, in, in coming games, especially when they're um, handicapped in the in the running back room. Yeah, they're they're going to need to do something. And in week as early as week five, they may get Keaton Mitchell back. Now we really have not heard updates on Keaton Mitchell's injury, but I thought it was really touch and go whether we're going to put him on IR at all. Uh, he was he was going to make the roster, and then you know the question is, do you put him on IR and 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 leave him out for four weeks when it doesn't seem like his injury is that serious, or it didn't seem at the time like it was that serious, but maybe it was. And, you know, he's obviously still out, and the Ravens obviously need him back like nobody's business right now because he would be a, a very significant additional speed weapon for this offense right now. Yeah, and he, in the preseason, obviously uh, was was quite fun to watch. You know, he, he was someone who offered that explosiveness, um, you know, similar to what, what Justice Hill has, has provided as kind of a change-up. Um, I, I don't know if he's someone who's going to be able to be like a feature back, um, mm-hmm. you know, given his kind of smaller size, um, but as someone who can come in and maybe catch a few passes, um, definitely be used in some of those, you know, you know, outside of, of the, of the box type plays, whether it's yep. a toss to the, to the edge or, or maybe even, you know, some, some creative plays where you have him, you know, lining up as, as a receiver and doing some jet motion, that kind of thing where he's just potentially a, a weapon to use. Um, I, I, we did see, I think him, do something on social media indicating that you know he's he's looking forward to getting back and he's ready to go. So it it was a little cryptic. Um, it's hard to say for sure what that what that means. But um, with the the injuries that the Ravens have had at the position, I think you know as soon as he is able to come off the IR, I, I would be surprised if he doesn't um, find his way back onto the active roster. I, I would agree, and we we certainly saw in the preseason some incredible explosiveness getting to the outside. Um, I think we will see, uh, you know, that he's a weapon out of the backfield with the pa- for the pass, and you can split him wide too. You can line him up in a lot of different places to do some of the things that Zay Flowers are, has heaped upon his plate right now. So if you want to line him up at a receiver, run him through the backfield jet motion. You want to you want to have him um, be your bubble screen guy who's on the outside and and take some of those passes. Fantastic, and and hopefully, you know, Flowers can do some more of what he was really brought here to do, which is, which is take that safety away. Yeah. Um, you know, having more speed on the field is all, is always a good thing for an offense. I think we are seeing that with the way that the dolphins are, are utilizing, you know, the receivers, their running backs. Um, if, if the Ravens can kind of tap into some of that with the speed that they have on their roster, um, I, I think, you know, it's only going to benefit them. Um, and, and, you know, one of the players that the dolphins had for run, running over 200 yards, is a little tiny running back, and you don't have to be big necessarily mm-hmm. to be effective in this league. Um, they, they have one of the smallest wide receivers and one of the smaller running backs you'll find, and they were extremely explosive and, you know, r- making historical um, records. Um, and I, th- I think it's something that the, the Ravens could, could lean into potentially. Did you see how many yards the Dolphins had offensively in that game? It was over 700. Over 700. I think 735 yeah. might have been, but that's just, wow. <laughs> I've got to say. I think it was. I think it was an NFL record uh, for most yards in a game, and over 350 rushing and passing, which mm-hmm. is pretty remarkable. Right. I mean, the the all-time record for rushing in a game, I think, is only 426 because the Ravens were very close to it. 
in in the uh, in the game at Cincinnati in 2020, I think, towards the end of the season. But uh, but yeah, um, I want to talk about a couple other things, and then we'll we'll close out this, and we'll come back for some individual performances in part two. But um, the Ravens used eight set and four chip blockers in this game, which is a small number, but part of that is that where the Ravens were facing extra pressure was um, on the interior where linemen have to be smart about um, picking it up. So, you know, a set, a set blocker, oftentimes it can be a running back, of course, and then that can be in the middle. But if a, if a, if you have a set blocker on a pass play, it's, it's an eligible receiver. It's typically a tight end who's on one edge or the other. So it might be Ricard, might be Andrews, could be likely, could be anyone, but, but it's typically a guy on the edge. The only one who could be in the middle is usually a running back. So if you have a smaller back in there, it doesn't do you a lot of good. And it really doesn't do a lot of good if the other team is dropping people off the line of scrimmage anyway to have extra blockers who, who might be looking inside to block first. So uh, I, I, the Ravens in this game, it, it, it felt like with the way the Colts blitzed, their linemen had to pick it up better and that the running backs uh, were more needed as receivers to be that, that you know a hot read of some sort to get Lamar out of trouble that way as opposed to with a block. And I think that's what we saw in Miami. They kept trying to make a heavier and heavier formation to try and get Miami blocked. And Miami kept raising them one additional pass rusher uh, to try and get it done and then dropping guys from the, from the middle, of course. So, Yeah, it, it's hard to really um, help out the interior of the offensive line when they're just losing their one-on-one matchups quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we're going to get to some of those individual performances later on, so I don't want to dwell on that too too much right now. But um, I don't think, you know, Kenny and Drake being in there to kind of get in the way of, of DeForest Buckner is going to do much in terms of, of giving Lamar much time. And, and him being an available re- receiving option is probably much more beneficial yeah. to the offense than to being someone who's actually going to help block. One thing I have been impressed with Monken the first few weeks of the season, and that we saw it last week 10 times, but we saw it this week nine more times, was he used an unbalanced line of some sort. So they're, they're running a lot. And, and the, the common com- common thread of all those lines, and some have been with six and some have been with five, is that they always want to tuck Morgan Moses in, meaning they want to have an, out, a, an offensive lineman outside of him. Um, they did this in 2008 with Willie Anderson a lot, that they wanted to get him tucked as well because his mobility was kind of limited. Funny thing is, Morgan Moses has been outstanding polar, and he's been pretty mobile at making level two blocks as well. But they really like him tucked. They like to get his power in there. Um, and, and set up some blocks on the inside as well. And, and uh, uh, he's, he's done a very good job, and the Ravens have been pretty good running out of these unbalanced formations. Um, they got Fa'alele in the game for four plays this week in a six-man line, and every one of those times it was, it was, a, it was a function of talking Moses. And then the five times that they ran just unbalanced uh, five-man line, it was every one of those times was to the right where – uh, McCary moved to the right of Moses on those plays. So you kind of see what they're trying to do here. Um, and it's uh, an interesting thing. It also, one thing it does is to potentially reduce the difficulty of some pulling situations. And we'll get into this with the offensive line, but they had a lot of trouble pulling in this game, particularly from left to right. So we'll talk a little bit about that uh, in part two. Gabe, anything else in the of the scheme nature you want to talk about while we're here um, before we move on? No, I, I I did notice the unbalanced line. I didn't notice notice that it was this many times in the game until you until you pointed that out in your notes. 
Um, I had noticed it in the in the previous games uh, used a couple times very effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was a you know a touchdown run on one of them and another big play that came off of it. So it's good to see that as impl- implemented in the offense. Yeah, when they ran out the game against the Bengals, they had six plays to get two first downs because they got them a third down both times. Five unbalanced lines among those six plays. Wow. So that was that was really uh, really getting it done. And that's if you're if you're not going to use Ricard on every play, and and it certainly would be the right move probably to use Ricard on those plays in addition to whatever lack of balance you want to run. Uh, the the I was very impressed with Monken's, you know, the adaptability of scheme. To to do something different to run the game out against against Cincinnati, just very frustrated. It didn't work against the Colts. Yeah, and and, and you know the Colts do have a pretty athletic front seven. Mm-hmm. Um, they have they have fast, um, talented linebackers, um, very good athletic defensive linemen. Um, it's it's a better group than uh, I think you know they might have given credit for. You know, last year it was kind of a whole mess of a team, but you know they they look pretty good through the first three weeks of the season. Um, I, th- I don't think they're going to be a team that's going to be easy, um, you know, easy win for, for anybody, especially when they get Anthony Richardson back at quarterback. Right. I, I would agree. I completely agree with your comments about the linebackers there, that, that it's, it might be the Colts' strongest position. They, they've had a lot of problems, frankly, in the secondary that the, the Colts have, and they didn't make them – the Ravens did not make them pay for that at all in this game. So uh, un- unfortunate. Uh, Gabe, always a pleasure to talk football with you. Uh, tell folks one more time about your, maybe your Twitter handle, where people can talk football with you online. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter or it's still called X. Twitter. I think it's still called Twitter um, at, at Gabe Fergie. Um, and um, we mentioned the the podcast that I co-host with Jordan co situation room. That's also on, on film study, Baltimore. Um, and you can find us on Spotify so I encourage you to give us a listen. Um, you know, we're out there kind of coming at you with immediate reaction after the game. And then an- another another podcast later in the week, we're probably going to be recording tomorrow. Hopefully we'll have that available on Thursday um, for, for your listening pleasure. All right. Outstanding. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. Uh, DMs are always open on Twitter. I want to hear from you. Another couple of guys are coming to me because they want to kind of debate a topic with each other on the show, which is a great idea, by the way. If you have somebody else who you completely disagree with about a debate and you would like a moderator to ask some questions and hopefully not give his opinion too often, I'm happy to do it for you. Uh, Hit me up with a DM on Twitter. I'll get back to you and and we'll see if there's a good show idea there. Gabe, thanks again for joining me. Thanks, Ken. I'm looking forward to wrapping this one up. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.